5, I want you to know this morning that God has a vital message that he wants every member of the human race to hear. God says it here in Isaiah 55, when he comes in the flesh in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, he says it again in Matthew chapter 11, and in John chapter 6, and again in John chapter 7. And as you continue to read God's word, when you get to the very last chapter of the Bible, some of the last words that God has preserved in writing for humankind to hear, and the, within the last five verses of the entire Bible, God says it again. He says again what he says here in Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 1. So my prayer this morning, and I'll pray again in a moment, that you would hear God speaking to you through his word this morning. Hear him do that now in Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 1. God says to you this morning, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Let me pray for us as we come to God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do pray again now that you would open our ears so that we might hear you speaking to us through your word. Father, open our minds to give us understanding of your word. Father, open our hearts so that we would follow your word and walk in your ways. And Father, I pray that you'd be willing to do that, even through the preaching of the word, even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Do you hear God speaking to you this morning? Do you hear what he says here in his word? And he says it in lots of places. But here in Isaiah 55, he's saying, come to me. God is saying, I have rich blessings prepared for you. When we get to further along in the chapter, we'll hear him say, don't delay. Don't get distracted by something else. Come to me. And we'll see that urgency as we get there later. But do you see in verse 1, four times he says, come, right? Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. Come by and eat. Come by wine and milk. God wants us to come to him and experience him and enjoy him. Because what you hunger and thirst for is found in God alone. Only God can truly satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Other things will never truly satisfy you. Not for the long term. Not, uh, not, not forever. And that's why God goes on to say, look what he says next there in verse 2. What does he say next? He asks us, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Do you hear him speaking to you this morning? Do you hear him asking you the question, why do you keep chasing things that don't satisfy you? 
you know, he says clearly, that which is not bread will not satisfy you. No matter how much you pay for it, no matter how much you work hard to try to make it work, it will not satisfy. And our world is full of things that promise us satisfaction, but nothing ever truly fills that God-shaped hole that is on the inside of every one of us. We were made for relationship with God, and nothing else will do. I believe it was the great philosopher and theologian Augustine, who was born back in the 4th century, who was born into great wealth, but his riches could not satisfy him. They did not fill that hole that he felt within him. He went to the finest places to receive education, the highest education that could be that could be bought in his day. And intellectual pursuits did not fill that hole. So as a young man, he pursued hedonistic pleasures, sex, food, travel, all the things that were available in his world of the day, and nothing would fill that hole. And it was Augustine who said, who prayed, Restless are our hearts until we find our rest in thee, O God. Augustine got it right. We won't be satisfied until we come to God. And he calls us here in his word to come to him. But that begs the question, how do we come to him? Maybe you've heard somebody say that before. Come to God. You need to turn from your ways. How do we come to God? How does that happen? Well, God answers that question. Look what he says next in the text. We've just read verse 2. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, your labor on that which is not satisfied? And then God says this. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Again, we hear God saying that he gives us what is good, that he gives us things that are delightful, that he has things for us that are rich, that he has something for us that is life-giving. But how do we receive all this? That's the question that we're asking, right? How do we come to God and taste all the rich, life-giving delights that he has for us to offer? He tells us clearly, after four times telling us to come, and he mentions coming a fifth time here in what we just read, he tells us three times how we do that. Did you see that there in the text? What does God, how does God say that we come to him? Look what he says. He says, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. God is equating listening diligently to his word with eating what is good and finding delight in rich food. And then he says it again, incline your ear and come to me. God is equating, inclining our ear to him with coming to him. He's equating those things. He's saying, that's this, he's saying that's how you come to me. You incline your ear to me. Now, we don't use the word incline a lot. If I have an inclination for something, I lean in that direction. It's my preference. I have a disposition. 
in that direction. God is saying, listen, if you have a preference, for, you come to me by having a preference for hearing my word, for having a bent in that direction, for being inclined to listen to my word. That's God saying that's how you come to me. Then he says it again. Look, hear that you may live. God is equating hearing him with receiving what we need for our souls to live. So how do we taste the delights God has for us? He tells us very clearly, by listening diligently to his word. How do we come to God? By inclining our ear to hear his word. How do we really live? How is our soul finally satisfied? How do we find that satisfaction that we so often seek and are unable to find? And God says, hear my word that your soul may live. Now, it is true. We can know some things about God by just living life and looking at his creation. And the Bible tells us that. Psalm 19 says it clearly. Romans 1 there are places that God's word says you can know some things about God by looking at his creation. And so we can learn things about God just from living life in this world. But do you hear what God is saying in this text? Do you hear what he's saying right here? Right here what he's saying is that the vital things of God, things like water that you have to have to survive that you can't go very long without, things like bread... That the vital things, the life-giving things, and the deep, rich delights that he has for us, that those things come through his word. So, of course, the application is, are you in his word? Do you make it a priority? Is that something that you're spending time in the Word as often as you drink water or eat bread? That's why he uses those analogies, because the Word is that, in, that important. You know, let me just be honest with you for a minute. Have you not been honest so far? No, I've been honest so far, but I'm just going to share my heart with you for a second. I feel like, I mean, it's like, time out. Can I step out of the sermon, right? I don't know if that's allowed. He's supposed to stay up there. Don't let him come down here. We're supposed to distance, right? You know, just to be honest, I feel like I spend a lot of weeks as a preacher standing up here saying, are you in the word? I feel like I called us to that. And that's appropriate because God's word calls us to be in the word. And so if I'm preaching, if I'm saying what the text says, then I'll be calling you to get in the word. So that's a good thing. But I wonder if maybe the question I shouldn't ask you this morning is not, are you in the Word? But the question I think I want to ask this morning is, is do you see why you should be in the Word? Do you see why I would ask you that? And the reasons why are here in the text. The first one is, it's the chief way that we come to God. Four times he says, come to me. And then three times he says, you do that by listening, being inclined toward hearing my word. So it is the chief way that we come to God. That's the way we get the vital things, the life-giving things, the deeper, richer things, blessings that he has for us. That's the, the first reason why we should be in the word. It's the chief way to come to God. But you know, it's also the way we avoid believing lies. 
It's the way that we avoid going the wrong way. He says that. Look at verses 8 and 9. God says that. Verse 8. For my thoughts, God speaking, are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Think about that with me. You know, typically, instead of allowing God's word and his thoughts and his ways to influence us, we typically have an idea of what we think we ought to do, what we want to do. It feels right to us. And then we go to the word and we try to get this to affirm what we already think and what we already want to do. And if we can't reconcile the difference, too many times we reject what God says in his word, his thoughts, and his ways in order to go our own way because we think that's what is best because it feels like that's the right thing for us. Listen, I have to tell you, there's a proverb that's listed at least twice in the Proverbs. Once in Proverbs 14, once in Proverbs 16, and it says the same thing. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man or to a person. But what? But its end is the way to death. Listen, our gauges are broken. <laughs> what we think is the right way, what feels right to us, oftentimes is not the right thing. And so we need God's thoughts and his ways, right? They're they're, they're higher than ours. That means that his thoughts and his ways are above ours. It means they are better than ours so that we would be wise to let his word guide us, that his word would take precedent over what I think is the right way. This is hard for us as 21st century Americans. We're individualistic. We don't like people telling us, don't tell me to wear a mask, Right? Well, we don't like to be told what to do. We like to think independently for ourselves. Well, think about this. God's ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your He invented all things. He created all this. He knows how it's supposed to work. He's been around a long time. He's seen a lot of folks make a lot of mistakes. He has an idea about the right way to go. We said it this morning when we, we recited Psalm 119, verses 104 and 105, right? We said, I gain understanding from your precepts, from your teaching, right? Therefore, I hate every wrong path. We avoid the wrong path by knowing God's teaching. That's what that's saying. And we pick the right path because Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. God's word shows us the right way to go. So that's another reason why we should be in the Word. Number one, it's the chief way that we get to God. Number two, it's because his, it shows us the right way to go. Number three, we should be in the Word because God's Word is powerful. It succeeds in the things that it sets out to do. We all want to make a difference in the world. We want to see changes in our life. We want to accomplish things. God uses his Word to accomplish things. Look at verses 10 and 11. God says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. 
It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You hear what God's saying there? Verse 11 is explicit, right? God is saying that he accomplishes his purposes in his people through his word. That's why the word should be such a central part of our lives. I like verse 11 because it's just explicit. He just tells you. Sometimes verse 10 is harder for me, this imagery. Like my word is like rain or snow. I, mean, I don't know. What do you mean by that, God? Let's unpack the image so glad the rain is falling as we look at Isaiah 55 and verse 10. I've prayed that it will stop at the end of the service so that we can all get to the parking lot, maybe have some fellowship. We'll see. But what's this imagery here about the rain in verse 10? We'll see God's people, the Israelites, the people who are receiving this message knew very well what Isaiah was saying, what God was saying through Isaiah. Because these people were dependent on the rain in order to live. I mean, the Egyptians, they had the Nile River, and it flowed, and it would allow them to produce crops, right? People in Mesopotamia had the Tigris and Euphrates, and you know, all these great rivers that major civilizations grew up around. God called his people and gave them this land that he promised for them, and this land, this place where God put his people, he put them in a place where they had to depend on him to survive what's going on here so when God says his word is like the rain he's saying listen I'm putting you my people in a place where you have to depend on me to survive that we have to depend on God's word falling into our lives and being fruitful and producing fruit in us that just as the rain falls and brings forth that kind of fruit that it is the word being saturated into our lives which causes us to change. Which allows us to accomplish the things God has for us. It's the word which is successful in our hearts and through our lives in accomplishing those things that God has for us to accomplish. It's the word that gives us life. Without the word, we are doomed to perish. So for all these reasons, it's the chief way to God. It shows us the right way because it's powerful and it's successful. God accomplishes his purposes through it for all these reasons and many more. I call you, please be in the word every day. It's vital. It's like water or like bread. We can't survive without it. Shepherds of this church, leaders of this church, let me just say a word. Listen, we cannot lead people well if we're not being led by the word. We have to make it a priority to be in God's word every day, or else we're really not very good. We're not much good as leaders, okay? Shepherds of the church, I also want to call you. Ask the flock, are you in the word? Sometimes we're hesitant to do that. Listen, if one of the elders asks you about this, I've just asked them to from the pulpit, okay? But it's appropriate. It's not because you're in trouble or you've been bad or you're going to get in trouble in some way. It's that this is vital. It's life-giving. We want you to have what is good. 
We want you to experience the rich blessings of delight that God has for you, and they come through his word. Let me just tell you a quick way to do it. I've, I've called you to do this because the, the word calls us to it. Let me give you a practical way that has helped me. Okay, I know some people hate these things. I'm holding up my phone if you're listening to the podcast. But I, I got an app, all right? There's an app for that, right? Bible Gateway is a free app. I've been using this every day. If you go to Bible Gateway, you download it, and you go to the menu, it has something called Reading Plans. And then I've chosen the one that's New Testament in a year. Listen, I know, hey, if you're more spiritual than me, then read the whole Bible through in a year. I used to try to follow that Robert Murray McShane thing where you had like a reading from the Pentateuch, a reading from the Law and the Prophets, a reading from the Wisdom Literature and the Psalms every day, four readings a day, so that in one year you read through the entire Bible with the Psalms and the New Testament twice. And if you can do that, man, do it. That's awesome. I just got behind, and then I felt guilty, and then I couldn't catch up, and then I just didn't want to look at it anymore, right? This thing, you know, the New Testament of the year, it's about 15 verses in a day. I can read it in less than two minutes. If I miss a day, it comes up September 13th for me today was 2 Corinthians 6. I read this this morning, first thing. And if I miss this for some reason, it'll be the next chapter tomorrow. It just keeps going, all right? This is an easy thing to do, less than two minutes a day. Depending on what translation you use, you can have it read it to you out loud as you get ready. While you're driving somewhere in the car, you can have it read to you. I would encourage you to do that. I mean, you can listen to entire books of the Bible in the short amount of time it takes us to get from point A to point B in Florence, Alabama. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, those are short books. 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon. You can listen to those and still have time to listen to the other things that you listen to. It's easier now than ever. I call you to be in the Word. Let me say a word about the covenant. Really, just a word? You should probably spend more time on that. Yeah, I probably should. Look at verses 3 through 5. He calls us to consider the covenant. He's just said, Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him, that's David, a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. What's going on here? Well, we talked last week, if you were with us, Isaiah 54 and verse 10, we were told that the covenant of peace shall not be removed from us, that God's steadfast love will not depart from us. You can go back and listen to the sermon from last week. And that is largely tracking what we're talking about here. He refers to this covenant he made with David. You can go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God makes a covenant with David. King Saul had been unfaithful to God. He had been disobedient. He did not walk in God's ways. And so God removed his favor from King Saul, and he made David to be the king. And then God promised that David or his seed, his dynasty, his house would rule forever and that human failure would not destroy the covenant like it had with Saul, that God would not withdraw his steadfast love. Same language of, of Isaiah 54 and verse 10 that we looked at last week. That God would not 
withdraw his love from all those that were in David's house, all those who were in David, but that there would be an heir of David who would reign forever, and God's steadfast love would never depart from those who were in David's household. Now, how does that help us if we're not in David's house, if I'm not descended from King David? What difference does that make to us? Well, a huge difference. You see, Jesus is the son of David who fulfills 2 Samuel chapter 7. Jesus is our true king. A nation David did not know is now running to his heir, to Christ Jesus, for God has glorified him. And so for those of us who are in Christ Jesus... We're in the house of David. We are in his line. We belong to him. If we are in Christ, then God's steadfast love will never be removed from us because God has made an everlasting covenant with his son for all time so that God's love is secure forever because it is based on the perfect work of Christ Jesus. You can read about that. If you want to hear how the New Testament says it, read the first five verses of Romans. Romans 1 verses 1 through 5. Paul speaks explicitly in these terms that I just talked about here in the Son of David and of the Covenant. So how should we respond? What do we walk with? What do we do today differently? What do we do tomorrow differently as a result of hearing these things? Well, I hope we're in the Word, right? It's one thing. But here's that urgency that we talked about before. Look at verse 6. We're told, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Do you hear the urgency? God is saying, come to me now. Seek me now while I may be found. Come to me now. Don't delay. Don't get distracted. Don't leave here and get distracted with other things. If you feel God tugging on your heart, if you feel him speaking to you, then seek him now. What does it mean to seek the Lord? Seeking the Lord means that we stop just playing around with church. We stop just playing around with attending programs. We stop just playing around with going places just to be entertained or to feel better about ourselves, to have our thoughts and ways affirmed. Seeking the Lord means that we get very intentional about following Jesus. That we make following him the number one priority in our lives. It means that we remove other things, even things that may be okay in and of themselves that the Bible wouldn't have any problem with. But we remove those things if they keep us from following Jesus. It means that we listen diligently to his word, that we incline our ear to hear God's voice more than all the other voices we hear in our culture. Seeking the Lord means realigning our lives so that everything that we do and say is in alignment with Christ Jesus. It means making Jesus the center. To use this meal metaphor of bread and water and wine that he's been using here in Isaiah 55, it means that Jesus isn't just something that we eat every once in a while. He's not just a restaurant we like to go to every once in a while because we like that one, but then a lot, most other days we eat something else or go someplace else in order to be nourished. It means that Jesus is our daily bread, that he is a continuing feast, that he is our defining center, that we look to him as vital for life. What does it take for us to do that? Look what he says in verse 7. 
He says, our part is to stop going our own way and to come to him. Look at verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Our part's to stop going our own way. We saw in Isaiah 53 that we're all like sheep and have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And we say, we like that. We'll admit we're fluffy sheep. Sometimes we wander off. And the text here is saying that what we do now is we stop going our way. And we start going God's way. How can it be any other way? Our ways and our thoughts put ourselves at the center of our life and God on the periphery. Our ways and our thoughts exalt ourselves and our desires and what we want even though our gauges are broken. And when they trivialize God, they keep him on the side. And we become so tolerant of our own sin And we have such an entitlement mentality that if God does not give us what we want, when we want it, then we go on our own way. Because God's not giving us what we want when we want it. And we don't realize that God's ways are higher than our ways. That his thoughts are higher than our thoughts by a long shot. And we go our own way. Listen. If we want to feast at the eternal banquet, God is showing us the way. I call you to come to him, to meet him daily in his word. Forsake your own way, your own thoughts, and follow him. He will have compassion on you. He forgives you're going your own way. He will welcome you. He abundantly pardons. Come to him today. Let's pray and ask God to help us to do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you send it forth just like you send the rain. I pray that your word showers down on us today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use the word. Please don't let the evil one pluck these seeds away. I just pray that you would drive the word deeply into our minds and in our hearts and into our lives now. I pray we would would not be able to escape your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to be at work in our lives. And you would help us to come to the Lord through his word. I pray for people who have been in the Word before and just didn't understand it. I pray that that they would open the Word and, Holy Spirit, you would give them understanding and there would be a fruitfulness that they've never experienced before as you meet them in the Word. Father, please be at work in your people. You tell us your purposes are accomplished in your people by the Word. Please use the Word this day for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.